Hey guys, <clears throat> welcome to this week's Daniel Company teaching. I'm very excited to finish last week's. It should be uh, short and sweet. But I'm working on a thing here on my computer to the left and I decided to do it back in a different room. I think I might have taught from here before. And I decided I didn't trust my uh, microphone, so I'm just going El Naturel today. But last week, we talked about um, diplomacy, and really we didn't get to the diplomacy part because it was pretty much discussing as marketplace ministers, what does it look like to be in a position when you're surrounded by darkness, you're surrounded by people who don't know the Lord, you may even be surrounded by people who are hostile to him. How do you navigate through that? What does it look like? Um, how do you love well? All of those different things. And loving well doesn't mean you're, you know, a, a map for people to walk on either. But it's how do you make remain the most impactful in situations that you encounter? And also we address the fear that a lot of Christians have of being tainted um, by the world system. And, you know, that makes them reluctant to be engaged. And it also has created a lot of withdrawal of Christians being engaged in the marketplace, government, as well as business. And uh, so anyway, we addressed all of those things. And now we're back to the dream that um, Nebuchadnezzar had. And now it's time for Daniel to give him the interpretation. And this is where the utmost uh, diplomacy is required. You know, my cat got up on this table, my little table here earlier, and it's like there's just sand on there. Uh, okay, so we are in chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 17. And it says, Then as I lay there dreaming, I saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. The messenger shouted, Cut down the tree and lop off its branches, shake off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Chase the wild animals from its shade and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump and the roots in the ground, bound uh, with a, a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Now let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let uh, him live with the wild animals among uh Oh, sorry. Let him have the mind. No, let him live among the wild animals, among the plants of the field for seven periods of time. Let him have the mind of a wild animal instead of the mind of a human. For this has been decreed by the messengers, which that's a very interesting word. That's actually a watchman angel. And they were the ones that kind of fooled around with people in um, Genesis chapter six. It is commanded by the Holy One so that everyone may know that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world. He gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest of people. Okay, so what exactly is going on here? So Nebuchadnezzar is obviously a dreamer. This is like the second dream he's had of, of significance. You know, he has a first one with the statue, then he makes a statue, you know, and tries to kill Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and it doesn't work. But he was warned, and he's been repeatedly told um, to give God glory. And he's been repeatedly uh, encouraged that he is in the position of king because of God's will. Now, quick disclaimer, that is different 
from our form of government here in America. We, excuse me, uh, we don't have kings. We have elected officials. Therefore, it requires people to elect them. Therefore, it requires Christians to vote. And um, not voting is a vote. And so because of that, I think there's some confusion in how we think that God views leaders here in our nation. In the Bible, we're dealing with kings and, you know, a couple queens. So he's a dreamer and the Lord, it's stunning how much he is talking to him in his dreams. It's stunning how much he's trying to guide him to righteousness and guide him to righteous rule. Um, he's trying to warn him uh, and keep him from, you know, ending up like a wild animal. And remember, we talked about, not the last one, but I believe the last uh, before, that when he threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, it says that he was enraged. And when we looked up the original language, um, his heart was as a wild beast. So one of the comments I made is that your internal environment always will manifest externally. You may try to hide it for a certain amount of time, but you can't. And so we see that his heart was as a wild beast. Uh, now he's about to literally live like a beast. And we also see in the book of Revelation that the Antichrist and the false prophet are both beasts, one from the earth and one from the sea. But in spite of all of that, the Lord is trying to warn Nebuchadnezzar and, and trying to prevent um, him from basically going insane for a period of seven years. So now, you know, Daniel's got the difficult task of giving the word, the interpretation of the dream and the verdict from heaven, which I'm sure was not the easiest. Um, and so, you know, he, he tells Daniel the dream and he says, I, uh, Belteshazzar, that was the name that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now tell me what it means for none of the wise men in my kingdom can do so, but you can tell me because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Okay, now this is Daniel's response and it's amazing and it's beautiful. Upon hearing this, Daniel was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. He wasn't frightened that Nebuchadnezzar would harm him by giving the interpretation. I mean, he'd already seen that God protects those that he protects. So he wasn't worried about that. But he didn't want what the dream meant to happen to Nebuchadnezzar, a ruthless, prideful, pagan. This is stunning. It's, it's really, it shows a heart that I can't say I possess and I've not seen in a lot of believers. And, um, and so he's loving Nebuchadnezzar well. And Nebuchadnezzar trusts Daniel. And um, so he, he was frightened by the meaning of the dream. And so the king said, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. So he could obviously see his distress. Okay. So Belteshazzar or Daniel replied, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my Lord, and not to you. The tree you saw was growing very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves and was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shades, shade and birds nested in its branches. That tree, your majesty, is you. 
for you have grown strong and great, and your greatness reaches up to heaven and your rule to the ends of the earth. Then you saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump and the roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals in the field for a period for seven periods of time. Okay, now this is amazing because, you know, not only does he, you know, he's like, oh no, but he's also, you know, like, I wish what, what is going to happen um, would happen to your enemies and not to you. That was not flattery. And I mean, this is just such a challenging part for me because, you know, when leaders are being stupid, um, it's like, y'all need to stop being dumb. I mean, this is dumb and we need to, you know, try to cooperate, try to work together. We need, you know, your ego is getting in the way of the reason you exist. Like even political leaders, your ego is getting in the way. You were elected to represent us, not your ego. And so a lot of times I'm just like, whatever, you guys are just all dumb, you know, but we see here in his service to Nebuchadnezzar, a genuine love and care for him. And I think that's maybe why Paul says, you know, to pray for our leaders, all that are in authority, kings, etc. Because the, the secret of prayer is that when you pray for people, you begin to love them as he loves them. And uh, so anyway, he's definitely developed a tremendous love. And uh, now this, you know, again, inspired the, the statue incident. I love how Lance Wallnow um, said, when you combine truth with love, you have a greater impact versus just truth minus love. And then he uh, also said that the tree of knowledge of good and evil allows you to judge others, but the tree of life allows you to discern. And discernment is based uh, in love. And that's somewhere in Philippians. I forgot to get that scripture reference for you. So the, the idea that a lot of us have towards sinners is we get angry with them, we get mad. Now, I will say people that are hostile to God, I mean, that's difficult. Um, Nebuchadnezzar at least seemed to have a little bit of respect for him. Uh, so things have to be called out. But um, the scripture is very clear in 1 Corinthians 5.13 that God will judge those on the outside. But as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from you. This is in reference to remove the person that is evil that claims to be a believer from out of our midst. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there are specific sins listed that have to be dealt with quickly. But what I want you to hear from verse 13 in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, God will judge the sinners. Our job is to get them saved. And so it's really hard to get a sinner saved if they know you don't like them. And so here we have Daniel just exhibiting tremendous love and respect for Nebuchadnezzar. And, um, and that's because he was loving him well. So we are to judge those that are in the Christian faith, claim to be Christians that are operating in you know, sexual sin, abusive behavior, addictive behavior, etc. There's a process that you go through with them. But when it comes to sinners, that is not our purview. And so now we have a word of judgment coming from God toward Nebuchadnezzar, and Daniel has to deliver that verdict to him. 
So he tries to help him out a little bit. Uh, in verse 23, it says, And you saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven, heaven and saying, Oh, I'm sorry, I read that. Verse 24. This is what the dream means, your majesty, and what the Most High has declared will happen to my Lord, the King. You will be driven uh, from human society, and you will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow, and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way, until you learn, this way said, that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. But the stump and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. And this means that you will receive your king back again when you've learned that heaven rules. Okay. Now, this is uh, an interesting deal in that, um, obviously, and by the way, there's historical records that King Nebuchadnezzar did have a period of seven years of insanity. And there's even been a diagnosis for what um, was happening and, and how he was living. And so basically, the reason that Nebuchadnezzar has been judged is he is not hearing God when he is saying there's one true king. And so Nebuchadnezzar more than likely is viewing himself as the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Uh, he's probably viewing himself as a god. And there's a competition between his gods and the one true God. And so in spite of Daniel's influence, King Nebuchadnezzar is not getting it. So God then sends a dream to tell him this is what is going to happen because you must know it is the most high that rules over the kingdoms of the world. And he gives those kingdoms to those whom he chooses. Now, again, we're speaking of aristocracy versus democracy, but also you are going to get your, uh, your kingdom back when you learn heaven rules, which would be like, well, how would he, you know, how would that even happen if he's insane? Well, it's an interesting story, but the main thing is you need to stop sinning. So then in verse 27, King Nebuchadnezzar said, please accept my uh, advice. Or Daniel says, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. So he's like begging him, please do these things. This will not happen. Okay. And again, it's just, it's so interesting um, how he diplomatically, but boldly encouraged Nebuchadnezzar, stop sinning, do what's right, break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. So the sin was pride, and then out of that feeling of superiority, uh, the poor were being mistreated. But all these things did happen to Nebuchadnezzar in verse 28. Twelve months later, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. As he <clears throat> looked out across the city, he said, now here it is. Look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. Okay, so you see what's happening. He thinks he is the source of all of that. The glory of kingdoms comes from God. No man is the source of it. It doesn't matter. And so while these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals and you will eat grass like a cow. 
Seven periods of time will pass you pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. That same hour, the judgment was fulfilled and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass, blah, blah, blah. And I guess his um, fingernails grew out like, you know, talons and all kinds of uh, crazy stuff. Okay, so it appears that, you know, for a year he behaved himself. And, you know, it's like when I look around my home or the blessings God has given me, it never enters my mind we did any of this. Like, one thing that's so important for Christians to understand is without God, the things that we enjoy, they just wouldn't be around. And, of course, there's, like, kingdom principles and there's things that you can do. Um, sinners do it all the time. But the difference between us and them is we know where the source is. And so when I, I look around at the things that he has given me, I'm just filled with gratitude. And I know this has nothing to do with my glory or my majesty. Well, it's the same thing. Nebuchadnezzar's looking around at everything that he's built. And it was hard for him to understand, you know, as a person who wasn't raised in faith and God, um, you know, a pagan who followed other gods. I'm sure he's like, well, how is this God? I mean, I'm the one that's built this. I have directed this. I've administrated this. I've hired the best people. You know, like there's no telling me like, you know, I, you know, God didn't do this. I did this. But he didn't understand that the only reason he was in power and able to accomplish those things was because of God. So um, I like how it ends, though, because in verse 34, it says, After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned, and I praised and worshipped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting, and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. Now see, he the problem was not that he had honor or glory or a kingdom. The problem is he felt his glory was the source of all of it, not it was worse than God. So my advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was returned as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the kingdom of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. Isn't that interesting? Now that, that's where the story of Nebuchadnezzar ends. Nebuchadnezzar was an antichrist ruler, and Daniel's influence in the marketplace ended up where a man who was hostile to the people of God, who was a world ruler, um, much like, you know, Hitler and different people like that, he was able to have a heart touched because of Daniel's influence. So don't buy into the lie that being involved with your business, community, the chamber, politics is gospel overreach. To not do those things is gospel underreach because the Bible says we are supposed to disciple nations and don't minimize your influence either. You know, I tell people just because you live in a small town or maybe you don't feel like you're having a huge impact, you're having the impact you need to have if you're in your lane doing what Holy Spirit has told you to do. And that is um, in includes the workplace. So to God, 
thinking that he built Babylon by his own mighty power to display his majestic splendor is insane. <laughs> so God will only share his glory with the humble, those who agree with who God says they are and recognize they are absolutely lost without him. Whether Nebuchadnezzar had a relationship with the Lord post-insanity isn't clear. We do know at this point he is praising him. But what is clear is that God's ideal for rulers is a surrendering of their kingship to God's ultimate rule. That's his desire for you too. Whether you rule a business, your family, you know, a household, a nonprofit. Submit your rule to his meaning. You won't abdicate your rule or role, but you do acknowledge his rule and his role in it. Okay, so God doesn't mind working together as co-rulers because that's he's made us rulers. Um, but he doesn't like it when we think we're the source of all the goodness, right? So anyway, that is um, that is it for today. And uh, I will be doing hopefully some urgent education on um, more of our Second Amendment uh, tomorrow or Friday. And uh, I'm hoping for tomorrow. And so until then, have a good night and I will see you in the next couple days.